0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast, where we talk about small, seemingly insignificant changes or conversations that we can have or do consistently as mothers and women to ultimately create generational change. And today's conversation that I want to have with you has an end goal, really, of just awareness and to get your wheels turning. And I hope it spurs on conversation either within this community or in your own community, And the conversation we're going to have today is about the 12 different types of privilege that someone could have. And typically, you guys know this, the more privilege someone has, the more power they have in society and more power they have over their own life and their own choices. My husband and I actually just had this conversation (laughs) that I'm about to have with you guys on our way to Tennessee this past week. We went to a water park for like five days. If you don't know me or this is your first time listening... I have a two, four, six, eight, actually two, five, six, eight-year-old boys and one on the way due in less than 12 weeks. So it's kind of our like little getaway before the baby comes and we're getting ready to move. So anyways, we had like five hours of drive time. So my husband and I actually had this exact conversation and it was just really, really good and it brought a lot of awareness. And so my hope is that it does the same for you. And sidebar (laughs) listeners, (laughs) I have been really honing in on choices and what that even means. And I've kind of become somewhat obsessed with choices and you might be thinking like, what do you mean? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. How could somebody hone in on or be obsessed with choices? It seems very simple. It's actually very complex, the choices that people have. And I've become really interested in this word because a response I hear to a million different things, or that I see on social media, social media, a million different times is, well, they made the choice to X, right? Fill in the blank, or they need to make a different choice or poor choices have consequences or whatever else, right? Like it just comes down to the sense of this person made this choice. That is why, this is solely why (laughs) the outcome is X, okay? And I just think it's more complicated than that. And I've really been diving into what this looks like and what this means, because what I've learned is, is that making good choices is different from having good choices. And I'll say that again. I have learned that making good choices is different from having good choices, right? And not everyone has the same level or caliber of choices or quantity of choices or whatever else. And some people have decisions to make with only two poor choices. So anyways, we're going to actually dive more into that conversation around choices and what I've learned, what I've been thinking through or whatever next week as we continue to talk about things that I hope just spark conversations, like I said, either within this community or your people that you are around. So tune in next week if you want to hear me talk more about this topic, but let's get back to the 12 different types of privilege. And I'm actually going to be posting a visual of this privilege wheel tomorrow on social media. But if you are like following along right now, and want to see easier as, as I talk through this. If you just Google circle of privilege, it will pop up. It's like the first or second. Picture there. If you are not in a place where you can see this, um, that's okay. I will try to explain this the best way that I can. And so, to to make it simple, basically there are twelve different types of privilege that somebody can have. And within each type, there are kind of three different levels. There is a level of power. There's a level that's kind of the middle of the road, and then ultimately there is a level that is marginalized. So I'm just gonna call one, two, and three. <laughs> Number one is gonna be the power level of power. Number two is going to be in the middle. And then ultimately the third thing that I say will be what is considered the most marginalized. So let's just start with skin color because I think that is just the most obvious. (laughs) That's the one that I think when people talk about the word privilege, it immediately goes to skin color. And so let's just start there to make it simple. So skin color is one of the types of privilege that somebody can have. And so number one, who has the most power would be if your skin is white, and I will say that this this probably could be a global thing, but I think that it's more um, it's definitely more tailored for the United States. So if you are listening from outside of the U.S., <laughs> welcome! I love I love seeing you guys all pop up on my on my uh, analytics and stuff. But this is um, still going to be pertaining to you. But this specific wheel that I'm talking about is probably more um, tailored toward the U.S. Anyways, so skin color first, um, type of privilege. And the one who has the most power is if your skin color is white, kind of middle of the road, level two, if you have different shades of skin, and then ultimately the most marginalized is the dark skin color. Okay. So that's kind of how it works. So the second love, uh, type of privilege is citizenship. So the one who has the most power would be a US citizen. And then kind of middle of the road, documented. And then the most marginalized would be undocumented. So skin color, citizenship. And then number three, the third type of privilege would be gender. So in the most... I'm just going to say level one, two, and three. Okay. So level one is always going to be the one with the most power. Level three is always going to be the one with the most, um, or that is the most marginalized. That'll make it easier. (laughs) So level one would be a cisgender man has the most power. Level two would be a cisgender woman. And then level three would be trans intersex or non-binary. Okay. So we have skin color, citizenship, gender, Number four, the fourth type of privilege is language. So if you are like fluent English, it is your first language. You are in a position of power. Second level would be learned English. So English as a second language. And then ultimately the most marginalized would be non-English speaking and monolingual. That is obviously something other than English. So we have skin color, citizenship, gender, language. And then the fifth one is wealth. So in the position of power, it would be if you are rich. Kind of the second level would be if you're middle class and ultimately the most marginalized is if you are poor. So skin color, citizenship, gender, language, wealth. And then housing is the next privilege. So in the position of most power is someone who owns property. Next level would be sheltered or renting property. And then ultimately the most marginalized would be homeless. So we have skin color, citizenship, gender, language, wealth, and housing. The next type of privilege would be body size. And I'm sure this changes like as um, beauty standards change, but the person that is in the most power would be someone who is slim, good looking, whatever. Um, as far as like beauty standards go, then the next level would just be average build average looks. And then the most marginalized would be large and someone who maybe does not align with the, um, the beauty standards of today. So we have skin color, we have citizenship, we have gender, we have language, wealth, housing, and body size and, or looks. And then we have for another type of privilege, mental health. And so if you have robust mental health, you are in a position of power. Then after that, if you are mostly stable, you're kind of in the middle of the road. Or if you have a very vulnerable mental health, then you are the most marginalized. So, and guys, just bear with me because I'm not, this is just going (laughs) to take a second to do, but I'm almost finished. So we have skin color, citizenship, gender language, wealth, housing, body size or looks, and then mental health. And so number nine out of the 12 is neurodiversity. So if you are neurotypical, then you are in a position of power. If you have some neurodivergence, then you are kind of in that middle of the road. And then if you have a significant neurodivergence, then you are within that marginalized community. So I probably don't have to repeat this every time, but I've already done it. I only have three left, so I'm going to keep going. Skin color, citizenship, gender, language, wealth, housing, body size, mental health, and neurodiversity. And then for number 10, level of privilege or type of privilege is your sexuality. If you are a heterosexual in this culture, you have the most power. And then middle of the road would be gay men. And then outside of that, lesbian, bi, pan, asexual. Okay, so let me repeat this again. Types of privilege: skin color, citizenship, gender, language, wealth, housing, body size, mental health, neurodiversity, and sexuality. Two more. The next one, number eleven, for the type of privilege is ability. So you are in a position of power if you are in com- if you have a complete able able body. Okay kind of middle of the road if you have some type of disability and then all, then ultimately marginalized if you have a significant disability. So I'm going to go through that one more time. We have one left. So types of privilege, skin color, citizenship, gender, language, wealth, housing, body size, mental health, neurodiversity, sexuality, and ability. And for number 12, the 12th type of privilege is formal education. So you, are in the, you have the most power if you have a post-secondary degree or higher middle of the road, if you have a high school education, and then ultimately the most marginalized if you have an elementary education. So let me just name the 12 types of privilege one more time and actually think this is good. (laughs) I think this is good because the more times we hear it, right? The more time, the more we can hopefully just kind of like internalize it, think about it, think through it just in general. So number one, skin color, then citizenship, gender, language, wealth, housing, body size, mental health, neurodiversity, sexuality, ability, and ultimately formal education. And I love this wheel of power or privilege, I guess, because I think we hear about white privilege a lot and that clearly deserves a lot of space, especially right now but that isn't the only thing that is kind of widening a gap between quality of life or income levels or wealth building or job opportunities or mental health or a variety of other things. Hey guys, I wanted to just take a quick pause and tell you about a friend's amazing amazing workshop that I want you to be a part of and If you have been around for a while with this podcast, you guys know that in 74 episodes, I have never done this. (laughs) And I am not getting paid money to share this. But I wanted to make sure you guys had a chance to take advantage of a workshop by Kara Harvey, which if you don't know her, she is actually the owner of A Purpose Driven Mom and has been on this podcast before. Just check out episode 44 to get to know her. But you guys, she is hosting a workshop called how to find time to take massive action on your goals without the overwhelm. And when I tell you she is like a productivity guru, I'm not lying. (laughs) And by the end of this free workshop, you are gonna be able to take massive action on your goals and completely ditch the overwhelm that comes with feeling like you have to juggle all the things all the time and know how to create a roadmap. This is the hardest part, I think, right? It's one thing to create a goal, it's another thing to know how to create an actual roadmap for your goals that you can also fit into your busy mom life. And then ultimately, just stop getting thrown off course when life throws you curveballs. Kids get sick, you know, whatever the heck. <laughs> or just more and more things get tossed on your to do list. And this workshop is available for free and on demand. And just for attending, Kara is going to give you guys a free weekly planning checklist and a Trello board because she's amazing like that. And you guys, I have this, I have the free weekly planning checklist and the Trello Trello board that she provides. And it's amazing. So to grab your ticket, go to www.apurposedrivenmom.com slash Steph, S-T-E-P-H, www.apurposedrivenmom.com slash Steph. Also, Make sure to connect with Kara on Instagram at A Purpose Driven Mom, and she actually has a podcast by the same name, and I will link to all of her stuff and all of these links in my show notes, but one last time to register for her workshop, go to www.apurposedrivenmom.com slash Steph. So it's good to remember to widen our view on privilege. Just as it is good to widen our view on things like, I don't know, like poverty. When I say someone is experiencing poverty, what immediately comes to your mind? Most likely it is absolute poverty or material poverty. Someone who is broke, possibly homeless, depending on food banks and other resources to make just to meet their like basic needs. But the truth is, you guys, is that material or absolute poverty is poverty. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. But there are many types of poverty, right? There is relational poverty where there's a lack of support system. There's generational poverty where people typically don't have the tools or know-how or mentorship to change, you know, their socioeconomic status. We actually talk about this specifically generational poverty a lot on the podcast. There is situational poverty, we kind of, I mean, there are people I'm sure that have just went through that. I mean, think about uh, situational poverty is kind of exactly like it sounds. It's situational. So think about with COVID, right? If you had job loss or there was a housing crisis or, you know, whatever else, like that could put you in this situational poverty. There's relative poverty. That's another type of poverty where basically you're living in a place where you don't have access to the same opportunities that the people around you do. Like, so for example, um, to put it like, I don't know, to oversimplify it, you're like the poorest person (laughs) in your community. Like maybe everyone else is doing vacation, has new clothes. Maybe they have a parent home to help with homework in the evenings or even a parent with an education. And you just don't have those things. That is relative poverty. Because if you live around people that do have all of those things, you're going to experience some kind of lack, right? Because we're human and we compare. Then there's absolute poverty, that's the material poverty, you know, where basic needs are barely being met. There is urban poverty, where populations are really dense, and typically the quality of education and healthcare, you know, aren't able to be obtained. And then there is rural poverty, where there may be a lack of jobs, less support for people who have disabilities or other services, less mentorships, you know, whatever else. And if you are in the US, think of like Appalachia, if you think about uh, rural poverty, and if you have not seen the movie Hillbilly Elegy, you totally should, because it paints this perfect picture of rural poverty and the difficulties of changing your familial narrative. It has kind of the rural poverty and the generational poverty wrapped up in that movie. It's really, really powerful. Anyways, if you don't know me, you guys, I have a huge heart for missions and people and with that, I feel like comes a huge responsibility to learn how to actually support people. Another resource I love is Poverty Inc. on I think it's on Netflix. And it really talks about how people, you know, from first world countries will go to third world countries and just dump a ton of resources into that community, but that it actually turns out to be super detrimental because, you know, if you drop off a thousand shoes, then the local shoemakers can't make a dollar anymore or, you know, whatever their form of currency is in this, this poverty ink, it really hypes on the fact that countries and communities will only ever be able to build and stand on their own two feet from trade within their community, not aid, right? Trade is going to get people to stand on their own two feet, not You can't just give people things (laughs) there has to be there. It has to be driven within their own community. And I think it's important to remember that just because, you know, absolute or material poverty is what we talk about most often. It's not the only piece of the puzzle. Like if you took someone in absolute poverty and you give them a mansion, but they still have relational poverty and or generational, you know, mindset of poverty you're really not helping that much. (laughs) You're really not helping that much. But it's the same with privilege. Like yes, in this climate, white privilege is the topic of conversation as it should be. But alongside that conversation, we need to also be opening up the conversation of how else people are being marginalized or how certain aspects of people's humanness is playing a part in the life that they are living and the choices they are making. And I really, <laughs> I'm not really going to go here. This is not really what this podcast episode is about. It really is just about opening your eyes to different types of privilege and poverty, apparently, <laughs> since I just went into that. But, you know, I really struggled to be, um, I don't even know what the word is. Political is not the right word, but whatever. On social media, because I just don't think that when we begin to talk about things as vast as privilege or mental health or poverty or what, whatever, right? That like one paragraph and a graphic can ever say what actually needs to be said. Like it's all too intricate. There is so much at play and, you know, I will sit and have conversations all day long, face-to-face, over my DMs, like boxer, I love having these conversations. It's not that I am unwilling to have these conversations. I love to hear different, you know, perspectives and stories and whatever else. And it just, it all matters to me, right? Like stories matter. And I feel like I'm not going to get on a soapbox, but you know, social media right now, my dog's going crazy. So sorry guys. Um, but social media right now, you know, it's like people just get up on their high horse behind their keyboard (laughs) and like type some kind of one size fits all comment. And I'm just like, I struggle. I really struggle because stories matter to me, you know, and I actually just taught a class on generational trauma and how trauma is passed down genetically. And, you know, you could have PTSD or anxiety and depression about something because a trauma gene is turned on in you from something that happened to your great grandmother. Like something you never experienced firsthand can have physical effects on you because you have a specific gene turned on. It's called the epigenetics of trauma. It's really really interesting. If you it there's actually a book, it's called It Didn't Start With You. Um go get that <laughs> on Audible or whatever. It's actually a really easy read, super super interesting. But, you know, you could have like I said this PTSD, anxiety, depression, whatever about something number 1 you never experienced firsthand, but number 2 potentially something you never even knew freaking happened. You could be having uh, physical responses in your body to, or struggle with, or whatever. So when you take into account all the different types of privilege and poverty and mental health and trauma markers turned on that link up to three to four generations, you guys, it is just impossible. Well, it's not, I mean, sorry, I guess it's not completely impossible. Some things are absolutely black and white. Let's just you know, call a spade a spade. Like you got to call evil, evil. (laughs) Like that's required. I feel like, but that's not what I'm talking about in this episode. The goal of this episode, again, is just to spark conversation and just expand our thinking that not everything is so freaking black and white. And I feel like that's where social media goes. And it's just, I feel like we're just, I don't even, I don't even know what the word is. You guys, I feel like we're just not sitting down in front of people anymore. Like we lose, we lose, we're losing something. And it, it just, it stresses me out to be honest, because if we're talking about, let's say, you know, I don't, know, if you're making the comment, like they need to make better choices. Like if that's a default reason for why someone shouldn't be in X situation, I am going to 100% challenge you on that. So let me say that again. Cause I know I've kind of been talking in circles a little bit. If you are someone That often defaults to saying, well, they just need to make better choices or they shouldn't have made that choice or whatever else. And that's just a default thing that you or whoever, who freaking knows, right? Whenever we default to that type of um, comment for anything, I am going to challenge you on that a hundred percent of the time. And actually here's kind of like a mix of conversations that I've had with people. So it got brought up about how in some conversation, I can't even remember who it was, but it got brought up about how the stimulus check was coming out and unemployment checks are high right now or whatever. And they're comfortable enough for someone to not go back to work. And because of that, the system's just really jacked up. Like it's, you know, there's so many jobs and and people are just sitting at home collecting their stimulus basically was kind of the posture of this comment. And my response was like, well, Maybe this hypothetical person that you were talking about, because you're just throwing hypotheticals out there, maybe they're a single mom and this stimulus check is providing this mom with time with her kids, you know, that she's been dying to have, but like single mom and ain't easy, right? And they may not have the option to be a stay-at-home mom, even if they freaking wanted to. And if they went back to work right now, then maybe what they made would go straight to child care. And they would barely be able to make ends meet. So the stimulus is providing a way for the mom, number one, to be home, to invest time into her children and to have an income they can actually keep and use to better their situation. Right. And they're taking advantage of that because that is available to them. And I'm not saying taking, taking advantage in a bad way, like what other option do you have? Like, okay, yeah, I can go to work. I'm not and obviously I'm kind of talking about somebody that, you know, maybe would have to go to a more minimum wage job or whatever else, because you just some people freaking find themselves in the situation like this, right? Like what other what other choice do they have? Please tell me. Because they could go to work and then have that money be paid toward childcare and now they can't, you know what I mean? Like it just You're, you're acting as if everyone has the same choices that you do. And it's just not, not true. And then something along the lines was said, well, if they can't afford kids or childcare, maybe they shouldn't be having kids. Okay. So if you want to get me all fired up, (laughs) let's just start here. Number one, that's not helpful because at this point, this hypothetical person that you're talking about, because you don't know this person, you're just assuming you do. Uh, They already have kids, so not helpful. Number two, you have no freaking idea of their story. You have not sat face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder with them. You do not know their individual story, and stories matter, you guys. They matter. Like, maybe they were in a stable relationship, and it was all good until it wasn't, and they had to leave. Maybe... There was foul play, God forbid, and a mom decided to keep a baby that she never asked for, but she loved anyways. Like maybe there was abuse or heartbreak because, you guys, crap happens. And sometimes things don't work out, you know, and people don't always picture their life to be the way that it is. But here we freaking are, showing up and making the best choices from the choices that we have. That's kind of what I was talking about at the beginning. Or I've heard the comment of like, okay, well, if you aren't ready for kids, then don't have sex. Okay. Let me just get back up. on. All... <laughs> let me just get back up here on this um, soapbox. Okay. Listen, I am all for abstinence. If that is like what you are all about, but here's the thing. If you go back to the conversation we started to have about poverty and you go back to relational poverty and Let's even take it further and go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? People's basic needs that they need to survive, food, water, shelter. And one of those basic needs is love and belonging. That is a basic need that a human has is love and belonging. It is right up there with food and shelter. And so I am so glad, you know, that X person <laughs> that you are in a position Where love and belonging looks like a healthy exchange of love and belonging, right? But to some people who are experiencing relational poverty or a generational culture of promiscuity or whatever else, like they may see sex as a way to achieve that basic need of love and belonging. And hear me, I'm not saying they are fulfilling their basic need of pleasure. Pleasure is not a basic need but love and belonging is. And you guys, this world is just searching to fill those voids. Like, I mean, day in and day out. So preach abstinence all you want and save sex or whatever, but you can't deny someone's need for food and you can't deny someone's need for love and belonging. And if sex is how they think, right? Here's the, that's the kicker. If sex is how they think, because of the situation they are in, because of the mindset they have, because of the examples they have seen. If sex is how they think that that void of love and belonging can be filled, then I am sure it is something that they would try. Now, we all know a sexual exchange is not true love and belonging, or as Lindsay Mises said a couple episodes back on this podcast you know, if that was the case, the prostitute would be the person who feels the most loved and the one who feels the most belonging. And that's just simply not true. So this is what I mean. You can't come at me with a simple, well, don't have sex if you don't want a baby, period. (laughs) And expect me not to a get pretty heated and two expect me not to challenge that. And you guys, I'm not saying personal responsibility doesn't exist. Like one of the core pillars of this business and this podcast is extreme ownership for where we are. Like that is something I talk about all the time, because when we take extreme ownership of where we are, that means we have the solution, right? That means we have the power to change ourselves and we're not leaving that in someone else's hands. But I am saying that I'm sick of people sitting, you know, like I was saying, behind their computer saying something that sounds good as they freaking type it out. Like, because sure, if you don't want a baby, don't have sex. Easy peasy. That's how that happens. Although I will tell you, I will tell you that when I was a teacher, I had high school students that did not realize there was a correlation between sex and a baby. You guys, these were 17 year olds. Like They just didn't quite, they kind of got it. They didn't really get it. So there's also a whole education there. And my mom and I are, we work with a nonprofit called Days for Girls, where we uh, supply uh, hygiene kits, personal hygiene kits to girls in Kenya. And there, again, (laughs) there, there can also be a lack of education. There's so many people who don't understand that There is a correlation between your period and pregnancy and your body and hormones and all of these things. So you are assuming that people just have the same education that you do, right? So when you say don't have sex, if you don't want a baby, that sounds logical to you. And it is, but you aren't taking into account individual stories and experiences. So if you aren't sitting down face to face with others and recognizing that they have a story and they have some privileges and they might be marginalized in some areas and they have strengths and they have deficits and, you know, probably some kind of poverty somewhere in their life or own struggles and trauma, then I'm just not super interested in what anyone's one size fits all comment is. Right. And this is different from what I was talking about earlier. Like you got to call evil, evil and good, good, right? Like there's a line there, but when you are just like, like taking your life experiences, your privilege, your whatever, and you are just making this blanket statement and saying, "Well, make a different choice." You don't even know the choices that they had. And it is it is naive to think that we all have the same type of choices, number of choices, caliber of choices. That's what I was saying at the beginning. There is a difference between being able to make good choices and having good choices. My husband and I are uh, foster parents and many times, you know, a kid will be taken away or whatever. And we learned a lot about this in training and it's just heartbreaking because it's like, well, technically the mom left their four-year-old at home alone overnight and they don't live in the best neighborhood and he's four, you know, but she doesn't have money for a babysitter. She uh, needs to work, wants to work, right? And she works third shift so that she can be home with him during the day. But what is the option? Her two choices are, I don't go to work and I stay here with my four-year-old and I don't have money to feed us. Are there government programs? Yes. Are there, you know, whatever? Yes. But like those can fill up. And also like somebody might not want that, right? And so, or I put my four-year-old down who I love deeply and I put them to bed and I pray to God that they are, they sleep through the night while I go to work so that I can make money to provide for us. Like those are her two choices because she may be in relational poverty and not have a support system. She may be, you know, whatever, whatever the heck, I don't know what her story is. And so for us to say, to judge anything, you know what I mean? Like now social services have come in and taken her child because of neglect, but it's like, what, what, what else could she have done? What else could she have done? Are there other choices possibly, but again, there's a difference between making good choices and having good choices but we are all doing the best that we can. And then, you know, these kind of conversations um, that I have with people, at least if it's a productive one, (laughs) then they often segue into a conversation about how to alleviate this issue. So if someone is searching for love and belonging or to change their socioeconomic status or to break chains of negative generational cycles, like where do we start? That is the conversation that I want to have. What does empowerment look like to them? How do we help without hurting? And you guys, sometimes I need help without hurting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I like what's uh. Bob Goff says like, you know, it's hard. Like some people are hard to love. And when we realize that we are the people that are hard to love, (laughs) things get, we, we get really humbled, right? Like we're all, we are all the least of these kind of thing. And so anyways, how do we help people without hurting them? And oftentimes, not all the time, oftentimes it is through proximity and mentorship. Oftentimes the way that we help, is through proximity and mentorship, not behind a computer. It is through the slow, small, consistent, private, unsexy, messy mentorship of one person. Like Jesus left the 99 to rescue the one and rejoices 10 times more when the one finds freedom in him than the 99 that were never lost or marginalized or whatever else, because the one matters. The one has a story. The one is capable of change. The one is enough and is worthy (laughs) of being sought out and loved and accepted and to belong. So my heart is at this episode Opens up conversations for you and your people, and maybe a different avenue of thinking if this isn't something you've considered. And I'm sure there are some of you who are right here alongside me, who <laughs> are like, "Yes, this is the same conversation that I'm having." Or, you know, there might be other others of you that are going, "Hmm, well, this is all interesting." <laughs> Which, listen, I was a hmm, this is interesting person not that many years ago. All I ask of this community of whoever is listening right now is that we are working to become 1% better every single day. And I'm also going to ask that we are leading someone and following someone. You, you know, you don't need to be an expert in something to lead someone else. I think the saying goes, or the rule of thumb is that even if you have a 10% lead in any area, be it finances, faith, relationships, health, your mindset, then you have enough knowledge and experience to lead someone who is just a little bit behind you. And then you should be linking arms with a woman who is 10% ahead of you, right? Like this is how we all get through. This is how we love one another. This is how we make sure that no one gets left behind. Like only you have the circle of influence that you have. And only I have the circle of influence that I have. So think about some of your strengths because we all have them. And then think about someone in your life that you could share your knowledge with and walk alongside. Okay, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Join me next week as I chat about the difference between having good choices and making good choices and just digging in a little more to what I have like, I don't know, where my heart is with that just in general. And I look forward to walking with you to help you find your grit while completely covering you in.